Good to see you all. Let me just adjust. Uh, oh, it's all right. You got that? Cool. Great. Good to see you all, guys. Nice to uh, be together. As you uh, will probably know, we're currently preaching through the Old Testament at the moment. That's an endeavor that will um, take us up to the summer. And uh, as we do that, we're praying that this will help you to better read and understand the Old Testament, of course, which in turn will also help you to read and understand the New Testament better. And uh, as you do that, you'll be able to accurately pick out some of the key themes that run through the entire history of God and his people, themes that we see consistently from Genesis to Revelation, because God is consistently working out his plan for all creation and all humanity, and we'll talk about that a little bit more this morning. And the the summary of that plan is that God is always working to gather a people for himself who he will love and who will love him. And that in all that we see him doing, he is creating the means for us to be together, for him to dwell with us and for us to know relationship with him. And so the implications of this are that for every macro event in world history and behind every micro event in your life, God is working through that to call us, to shape us, to gather us, and to dwell with us, and to love us. And uh, that's why the book we're working through as we follow through the series is called A House for My Name. That's the metaphor for what God is building and doing. He's calling a people for himself to dwell with and to love, and we are not just passive bystanders in that plan. We're invited into this endeavor to partner with him as he unfolds this plan for humanity. That's why, as Matthew's just encouraged and exhorted us. That's why we often refer to our faith journey as being an adventure. It's an unfolding plan, and we're in this together and with God. And I'm really praying this morning that uh, you'll be able to more clearly see that as we explore the next stage of the story, this history-spanning story of God, as it unfolds through the ancient people of Israel, that it really reaches your heart as so much more than ancient history, so much more than someone else's story, that you'll receive the word of God for you this morning as for you personally, that the story we're working through, the story of the Bible, the story of God and his people, this is your story. So this morning, if you're here and you want to make sense of your life, if you want to know your purpose, what you were made for, the meaning of life, the direction of travel for human history, the way the story, your story reaches its climax, I believe that there's answers today in God's word for you as we look at it this morning. Let's, uh, let's delve into the story from where we left off last week. And this week, we'll encounter a man named Joshua and how God works out his plan for humanity through him. But first of all, let me just give you a little bit of background, just in case you've forgotten what we've preached so far, or you're kind of new to it. And uh, I just want you to kind of better understand how we got to where we are today. So the background, some of you will recall, is that many years previously, God calls a man named Abraham, and he makes him a threefold promise. He says, Abraham, you will be the father of a great many people who will be my people, This is what I was talking about a few minutes ago. That's the first part of the promise. God gathers a people. And the second part of that promise is that God will bless Abraham and bless this people 
and that they will become the people through whom the whole world will come to know about God and his purposes. God loves his people, and he loves to bless his people. And the third part of the promise is that one of the key ways that God will achieve this at this particular point in history that we're going to talk about this morning is by giving this people a land and by rooting them in that land. And that this will be a land that is free of enemies and free of threats, and it will be the place where the right worship of the one true God is established. And ultimately, we'll see as we work through the series, the temple will be established there, and the peoples of the nations will look on this people, Israel, and they will see something of the power and of the might and of the plan of God, and that this will be the land, the place, and the people that you come to if you want in. The, the land in this promise that God made to Abraham is, is crucial And then over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what happens from there as the Israelite people end up in 400 years of slavery in Egypt, how a man called Moses liberates them from that slavery, leads them out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness and onwards towards this very land that has been promised to them by God. And en route, they stop at a place called Sinai, where God gives them the Ten Commandments and teaches them how to live, and he promises them his presence, and he gives them instructions to build the tabernacle, which some of you remember is the kind of mobile temple of God's presence. It goes where the people go because God promises to always be with his people. And the people all say, oh yes, God, that sounds wonderful. We'll do all that you say. And then they do the exact opposite. They worship the wrong God. They grumble. They moan. They fail repeatedly to listen to and trust God, their liberator and father. And God says, okay, as you wish, This generation that I've rescued out from Egypt will now live the rest of their lives in the wilderness. And this is where you'll ultimately die out. You won't see the promised land. The next generation will be the ones that I bring up into the promised land. It's all pretty tragic, really. And so where we are today is 40 years later, that generation has died out, and a new generation of Israelites who've been born in the wilderness and raised in the wilderness has emerged, and they find themselves encamped on the border of this land that God has promised to them, and they're preparing to enter into it. They can probably even see the land, Canaan, in the distance. And before they enter into the land, Moses gathers the people, and he makes a series of five speeches to prepare them. And those five speeches are the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomos. It's a Greek word that means second law. And that's what Moses is doing here. He's reminding them of their history. He's reminding them of God's promise and plan. And he's retelling them the law, the Ten Commandments and everything else that God has commanded them. And he's, he's reminding them that just like in previous generations, they have a choice. Follow God and live and know his victory and faithfulness or go your own way and die out in obscurity like the previous generation did. Here's a few verses from one of those speeches in Deuteronomy 12, which outlines this next season of life for the Israelites as they enter into Canaan. This is kind of their job description. This is Deuteronomy 12, verse 1 to 7. Moses says to the people, these are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess. As long as you live in that land, Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. 
cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There you are to bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and you shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. Enter into the land... Dispossess the land from idol worshippers and the child-sacrificing tribes and nations who are currently inhabiting it. Tear down their idols, tear down their shrines to their false gods. Inhabit those places. Lay down your roots. And most importantly, establish communities that worship me so that you may enjoy the peace of my rest in your lives. And that gateway is still the commission over us. We are to step into the places where the discord and disharmony and disunity and despair that accompanies human societies when we're left to our own devices and we're to bring the truth and the freedom and the life and the peace that accompanies the right worship of our God. That's what we're doing with so much of what we do as a church, when we serve people who are affected by domestic violence, when we serve the lonely or the bereaved or the financially or emotionally stricken, when we gather here on Sundays and preach the gospel, this good news, we are stepping into places and lives where worship is disordered or absent or the purposes of God have not been properly honored. And we're trying to help people to establish the right worship of God in those places. And as we'll see as we join the Israelites on the next leg of their journey, it's this right worship of God. It's it's relational closeness with him. It's obedience to his words. It's dependence and trust in him that wins the battles that we will invariably face, be they as individuals or as a collective. So Moses gives these speeches, and he kind of summarizes the whole thing like this. Note the binary choice that he gives them, which is, again, just as relevant for us today. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 to 18. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. Nice and easy. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter into and possess. Follow God and live, or don't and die. It's no different today. Frequently, the Bible refers to us in our pre-Christian state as dead. And when we come into relationship with Jesus, we come into life. Jesus called himself the way and the truth and the life, the only way, the only truth, and consequently, the life. This is partly the ongoing purpose of preaching on Sunday mornings when we say, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. What will you have? There's a moment of crisis that should happen in our hearts when we gather here Sunday by Sunday as we answer that question. 
So Moses discharges the Lord to the people on the verge of the promised land, and then he comes to the end of his life. And then a new leader emerges, a man named Joshua. And Joshua is commissioned by God to lead Israel into the promised land, into Canaan. And in the first few verses of the story of his life, we get these famous verses. This is, this is God speaking to Joshua. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, Joshua, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. What a promise. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to, to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you, you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? And uh, this might be of particular importance to you today if you're facing a battle of some sort. God is saying to these people, there is a battle to fight ahead of you. Your job? Trust me and be courageous. My job, I'll fight and win the battle for you. I often think, I'm, by God's grace, going to be preaching on this next month. When you boil it all down, the, the job of the Christian is to do two things. It's to stand and it's to surrender. Stand strong by surrendering to God. Be courageous. How? By trusting God. Trusting God and believing on him takes courage. It's the way of life, and there really is no other way. What God is saying to Joshua, and I believe would say to you this morning, is have faith. Be of courage. The battle, whatever battle you face, belongs to the Lord. He goes before us. He fights our battles. He overcomes our enemies, and he makes a way for us. Trusting God, therefore, is a form of surrender. Jesus himself exemplified this by facing down the battle against sin and death for us. How? Well, he stands strong in the face of overwhelming evil, knowing that a battle must be fought and won. And then, in faith, he surrenders to the will of the Father, and he gives up his life for us on the cross. Stand strong in faith and surrender to what God is doing. What do you need to stand firm in today? What do you need to believe again a friend once said that we need to learn to sink our legs into the quick-setting concrete of the gospel. Learn to stand. That's the way of life. What lies might you have been believing? What battles are you facing? What enemies are threatening to overwhelm you? Sink your legs into the quick-setting concrete of the gospel again. Be unmoved. Trust God. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Worship him, have faith in him, make his agenda and his words and his voice the largest and loudest in your life. The victory gateway is his. And as you do that, surrender to what he is doing and forming and shaping in you. Battles and hardships are, certainly have been for me, the greatest catalyzers of faith. I can tell you from years of 
playing sports and being in the business world and doing human relationships, that you often don't resolve your convictions, your core beliefs, until they're tested in the heat of battle. Then you've got no choice but to stand on what you believe. And therefore, it's very often in these battle situations, in hardships, that God shapes you and he draws you and he draws out the good stuff that he wants for you. I often think about the biblical metaphor of gold and how that has to surrender to the intensity of the furnace. And it's in the intensity of the furnace that it's reformed and shaped and purified. People often say to me, why does a good God allow bad stuff to happen in my life? Duh! That's where he's often doing his best work. He's shaping, he's forming. Romans 8.28, he's working all things together for your good. Romans 8.29, why? So that you can be like Jesus. The night before the cross, as Jesus sweated the anxious drops of blood, knowing what was facing him the next day, instead of bolting, as I'm sure I and many of us would have done, he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. In his death, he chose the way of life for us all. That's what it looks like to stand and surrender when the chips are looking down. Where might you need to surrender to the will of God in your life and let him do his shaping and molding and pruning and course correcting, all the things that good fathers are supposed to do? And this is what the Lord is commanding Joshua and the Israelites. But there's another significant theme behind what's happening here. Because, and this has real relevance for us here at Gateway too, because just like the story of Joshua, and we'll see this until we get to the final stage of the Bible, indeed the final page of history, is that implicit in the Christian life is that we all are called into the forward momentum of God's plan. The Christian life is not supposed to be a static situation. We don't kind of skid across the line of faith and then just sort of white-knuckle it and hope for the best until we die. The theologian Leslie Newbigin says this best for me. He says, We are the pilgrim people of God. The church is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to call all people to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. Therefore, the nature of the church is never going to be finally defined in static terms, but only in terms of that to which it is going. Translation, there is work to be done here. There is land to be taken. There are souls to be saved. There are idols and idolatrous temples to be torn down and the right worship of God to be established in all the earth. That's the definition of mission. That means that if you're a Christian, you're called to be a missionary. We are called to go into the darkest places and turn on the lights and call people out of death and into life and to restore what should have always been there according to God's original creation plan, which is relationship with him and worship. John Piper, pastor in America, famously says, missions exist because worship doesn't. In other words, wherever God isn't rightfully worshipped, that's our mission. We should set our eyes on reaching that place and changing that. Forward momentum. As Matt put it last week, new land required. We go again and again and again. Now, I appreciate that can be uncomfortable for some. I realize this, especially if you're tired or you're battling. When we were talking about um, this theme for the year that Matt's just told us about, 
a few weeks back, I, said, I suggested, how about we all just take a nap? <laughs> Let's make 2022 the year of the nap. Life can be tiring and tough, I get that. And of course, you don't send soldiers into battle without any endpoint. Furlough and rest and healing and recuperation is built into the life of a soldier, and it should be built into the life of a Christian as well. That's why we're meant to observe the Sabbath and live with a sense of that Sabbath rest in our hearts every day as well. I get that the last thing you feel like doing when you're tired or broken is taking on a fight, and I don't want to underplay what that might feel like for you I know what that feels like, and there are just times when wounds just need to be tended to. Here's the good news. Because of this forward momentum of the plan of God, he has placed you in a mobile unit of specialists. It's called the church. And in this place, he has placed teachers and pastors and listeners and carers and bandage makers and organizers and scouts and battle-hardened warriors, and cooks, and tent makers, and worship leaders, and bricklayers, and JCB digger earth-moving prayer warriors, and all the resources that we need to adequately partner with him in and out of season. Because he promised, he promised to build his church, and that his kingdom would be established through us in all the earth. He would do that through us, the people that he has gathered and whom he loves. And so, for me, it's as much a matter of logic as of faith. If Jesus says he's going to build his kingdom through you, it simply follows that he's going to resource you and shape you for that task. So take heart. Jesus is in control of even the smallest details in your life, and he is with you. Now, what gives me confidence to say this is the original instruction given to Joshua by God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Gateway, God is with us. He is with his people. That's what this whole sermon series is about. A God who loves his people and dwells with them and will do whatever it takes to establish that. Listen to what it says in Psalm 23. This is probably the best known of all the Psalms. And it's not surprising when you read the wonderful promise it contains. The Lord is my shepherd. By the way, this was written as a worship song. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, in some translations, the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because the Lord is at my right-hand side and nobody and no situation can overcome our God. That's why Paul in his letter to the Romans can so confidently assert, for if God is with us, who can be against us? Not illness, not depression, not money worries. None of those things are fun, I get it, and illness or something else might take our lives. But even then, that's not the end of the story for the Christian. Even in death, we are victorious. Because Christ's victory on the cross, of which we are all inheritors, wasn't just to make life easy in the here and now. It's for eternity. And therefore, even death has lost its sting. It doesn't matter what you're facing, and I appreciate it. Might feel huge. We're alongside one another for this journey, and nobody gets left behind. You could not be safer than to be in Christ and with his people. 
Anyway, back to Joshua. So here we go. Joshua sends two spies out from the encampment, and uh, he says, I want you to go into the first city in Canaan, a city called Jericho. He says, go and check it out. God has commanded us to take it, to drive out the idol worship, deal with all of that, and inherit the city and set up the right worship of God. Take the land for him. So the spies go off, and uh, they're in Jericho, and they come across a woman called Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute, and she's certainly not a Hebrew. She's a Canaanite, the most unlikely type of person to feature in the plan of God. But God's plan supersedes our wisdom. That really helps me to make sense of why God might choose someone like me. And Rahab says to these spies, quickly, come here, let me hide you. We've all heard that your people were on the move coming this way, and we've heard about the wonders of your God. She says in Joshua 2, verse 9, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She acknowledges it, Canaanite. So she does a deal to help the Israelites to take Jericho if they'll spare her and her family, which they agree to. And then God says to Joshua, take the people and cross over the river Jordan into this promised land. And just like with Moses, God parts the rivers of the Jordan. The people pass through it and they encamp on the other side. And it's there that the first thing they do is they set up a a monument to God. They recognize him and they worship him. And God says, right, next up we're taking Jericho. And I find this story quite amusing for a number of reasons. Firstly, as they come to Jericho, Joshua encounters an angel dressed for battle. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel just says, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. And I think there's a lesson for us here as well. Because even at this point, Joshua still thinks that in some some way, the success or the failure of battles ahead are within his strength. And so he tries to recruit this angelic being into his army. And the angel just says, don't get above yourself, mate. This isn't about you. The only success criteria in this battle and in all the battles ahead are, listen up, gateway, whether God is with you. And we've already established that for the follower of Christ, God is with us. And then he says to Joshua, this is God saying to Joshua, okay, now this is how you're going to take Jericho. And then he says, absolutely nothing about sharpening their swords or doing pull-ups to keep in shape or nothing about putting the strong guys in the front and the archers on the flanks. He says this, you're going to organize the priests and the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to take the Ark of my presence and don't forget to take the trumpets with you and you and all the lads are going to march around the Jericho city walls once a day for six days. And of course, don't forget to play some music while you're marching. I want you to sound your trumpets because back in Leviticus 25, we're told that the sounding of a trumpet signifies the victory of God. It's about establishing worship again. And I want you to do that once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around those walls seven times, blow the trumpet, then let out a loud shout, and the walls will come crashing down before you. Now, This is obviously a very serious story, but I can't help finding it funny that what's actually happening here is God is saying to the Israelites, you guys, with your priests and your trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant, assemble yourselves for worship. And as you worship, I'll bring the walls down. 
And if I haven't already made this clear enough this morning, let me say it again. This story exemplifies what I think God wants to say to us. I believe he's saying there is ground to be taken for my glory and for your good so that the world will come to know of me. Come and partner with me in that endeavor. Number two, there will be battles along the way, but fear not because I'm with you. And then finally, at the point of battle, do not panic, do not trust in your own strength. Best thing you can do, worship. Trust me. I've got the heavy lifting. And sure enough, on the seventh day, the people march around the city. They sound the trumpet. They let out a loud shout. The walls come down, and Israel takes the city. I remember about eight years ago, I was probably going through the fiercest battle of my life. I was not in a good place, and the giants in the land looked huge to me. And in the midst of that period, I took the kids down to the Bos- uh, to Boscombe Beach, to the air show, and uh, you'll know if you've been to the air show that when it's on, it's loud down there, and there's often music playing, and there's stalls, and there's funfair rides along the beach, and so on. And I remember standing right next to a funfair ride, and the music was blaring, and I was staring out to sea as the, as the kids went on the rides, and I was having a complete whinge. I was raging against God, and I was basically saying, in this situation that you've got me, I've had enough. I want to get out of the battle now. And as I stood there staring out to sea, I heard the music that was playing on this funfair ride. And I heard the chorus of a pop song, which I've never heard before, and I've never heard since. And the chorus of the song was simply repeatedly, you've got to worship, you've got to worship, you've got to worship. And I was like, what? What's going on? Really? And I genuinely felt that God was speaking to me in that moment through the tilt-a-whirl or whatever it was. And he was telling me, in spite of it all, worship. And so I did, just very gently, under my breath right there. And over the next few days, I chose to keep my eyes fixed on him and slowly to make decisions to stand where I needed to stand and to surrender where I needed to surrender. And gradually, over the next few days and weeks, my perspective completely changed. And I emerged from that period a changed man with a far deepened relationship in God and a much greater confidence in him. I worshipped while God battled on my behalf. And as Peter Lightheart puts it, the battle at Jericho sends a clear message. When the people worship, he brings the walls down. That was a miserable period of my life. Let me tell you, I wouldn't change it, not for a minute. It's so precious to me. Now, the rest of the book of Joshua outlines the very many more battles that he and Israel fight and win with the help of God. And they take the whole land and they drive out the nations before them, the nations who worshipped idols and sacrificed children to their gods. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, we read this. It says, the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The tent of meeting uh, is the tabernacle. You might remember we've already spoken about in this series already. The place where God and man could meet and worship uh, could be established. And what we see here is that the next phase of God's promise and plan to Abraham is accomplished. And one day that mobile tabernacle in Shiloh will become the temple. And the temple will one day be replaced by Jesus as the ultimate meeting point between God and man. And the New Testament teaches that now we are the temple, living stones filled with the presence and power of God through his Holy Spirit. And so we see again this iterative, ongoing, 
forward-moving plan of God to have a people to love and who will love him and who will do whatever is necessary for us to be with him and to dwell with him. The Exodus story for the Israelites is now over. They've come through slavery and wilderness and they've come into the land of promise. He draws us out to draw us in. And as they've done that, they've sometimes done well and they've sometimes grumbled and rebelled, but through it all, what we see is a God who is committed to bringing freedom to his people and establishing his kingdom, to doing what he says he's going to do. Gateway, there, there will be, there really should be always for us, Jordans to cross, Jerichos to take, new lands to inherit, battles to fight, as we establish right worship where worship is absent. We're a pilgrim people, a people of forward momentum, and that's how it should be, since God has promised to establish his kingdom through us in all the earth. How do we face up to such a high calling in our lives? Joshua 1, verse 7 to 9 again. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything within it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go plain here, and it's plain from the story. Trust God, believe on him, obey his word, stand when you face battles, worship him, and thank him for his work in your life through that battle. Surrender to his purposes. He's fighting your battles, and he's bringing liberation to the whole earth as he fills up the whole earth with right worship and with his glory. That's the direction we're headed in. This sermon series is all about God building a house for his name. I mentioned Psalm 23 earlier on. That psalm ends with another beautiful promise for the people of God, and I think this is just a great way to land this morning. Psalm 23 finishes with, Surely your goodness and love will follow me, pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you go ahead of us, you make a way for us, you fight our battles, you overcome our enemies, you love us, you're for us, you're with us. Thank you that even when we face giants, even when we're in the heat of battle, we are not to fear evil, for you are with us. And furthermore, you're doing something in that moment to conform us more to the likeness of your Son. There is nothing wasted, not one second of our lives, not one moment of our experience that is wasted because you work through all things to bring about the good for your people and for your glory and your namesake. And so, Father, I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters here, would you please help us to stand, inject into us a Holy Spirit courage to stand and believe you again, to face down our enemies in your strength 
Lord, help us also to surrender to your purposes. We don't want to be a whinging people. We want to be an adventurous people who are open to what you're doing as you gather and call and form and shape. Thank you that you are good and all that you do is good. Lord, today we stand in confidence and we surrender to your purposes. Amen. stand up. Why don't we stand up and I'd like you to open your, if you feel comfortable, open your hands before the Lord. We're going to declare some truth and we're going to